It's Friday, January 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Historic day on Thursday as Congress opened the impeachment trial of President Trump. House Democrats read the formal charges, and all 100 senators were sworn in as jurors. And just before all this happened, the GAO released a report saying that the administration's Office of Management and Budget violated the law when it withheld military aid to Ukraine. Caitlin Emma, reporter for Politico, joins us for more. Next, the fight for privacy is underway again between Apple and the FBI. After a December 6 shooting at a naval base in Pensacola, Florida, was deemed an act of terrorism, Attorney General Bill Barr said that Apple wasn't doing enough to help unlock the shooter's two phones. Apple maintains that breaking encryption on one phone could endanger the privacy of all iPhone users. Rosie Perper, global reporter for Business Insider, joins us for the fight to unlock a terrorist's phone. Finally, new data released by NASA and NOAA has shown that 2019 capped the hottest decade in recorded history. The past five years each rank among the five hottest years since record-keeping began. Brady Dennis, national environmental reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for more on how this warming trend is affecting the globe. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And these are their words. These are the words of the GAO. Faithful execution of the law does not permit the president to substitute his own policy priorities for those that Congress has enacted into law. The Office of Management Budget withheld funds for a policy reason which is not permitted under the Empowerment Control Act. The OMB, the White House, the administration broke I'm saying this, broke the law. Joining us now is Caitlin Emma, reporter for Politico. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Congress has opened the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump on Thursday. House Democrats were reading the formal charges of the articles of impeachment, and all the senators got sworn in to be the jurors. This is for the third impeachment trial in U.S. history. So just uh, crazy times right now. This all happened right after the Government Accountability Office had put out a new report basically saying that the Office of Budget Management violated the law by freezing the aid to Ukraine, which is at the center of this whole story. It was really an explosive legal opinion that the Government Accountability Office released this morning. And, and like you said, it was just before the Senate really got its impeachment trial sort of underway getting things kind of started in the upper chamber. That's going to resume next week. But the release of this legal opinion from the Government Accountability Office, or the GAO, as people like to call it, is really underscores how quickly this case is unfolding against the president and really gets to the heart of what senators will be considering, which is, did President Donald Trump freeze this critical aid to Ukraine over the summer in order to pressure the country to investigate his political rivals, sort of using that as leverage. And what the GAO found in its report was that that action unequivocally violated federal budget law. So that really undercuts the Trump administration's argument this whole entire time that, you know, freezing this critical foreign aid was well within his executive authority to do that. And GAO, which is sort of this, you know, the supreme independent auditing agency of the federal government said, no, that is not the case. You broke the law when you made that move. And what is the timeline? How does the GAO say that this happened? Because this went through the OMB. They kind of imply that maybe the president might have directed this. But how did this play out in real time? Well, that is something that House impeachment investigators have been trying to suss out for months. 
is really trying to get a firm handle on the timeline of what happened and when it happened. And it's worth noting in GAO's legal opinion today that essentially the agency said that the Trump administration didn't completely comply with GAO's investigation, which GAO said was troubling. But in any case, a number of administration officials told House impeachment investigators last year that the directive to freeze the critical aid to Ukraine was given in July, and that funding was not released until September. Federal agencies, federal officials, many people never got a reason for why the administration was holding up the funding. And the timeline is relevant because the funds were set to expire on September 30th, which is the end of the fiscal year. And even though the administration released some of the funds, millions of dollars never um, made their way to Ukraine by that deadline. So that all sort of plays into this GAO legal finding that The president did, in fact, break the law when he decided to hold up funds that were appropriated by Congress in order to get across what appears to be political priorities, political investigations, etc. And the interesting thing is that really the only recourse for the GAO for a violation like this is to sue the administration to end up releasing the funds. But that's already happened. So really nothing is going to happen on that front. It just kind of sheds more light on the legality of it. You know, the president for a long time had been saying, oh, it's perfectly within my right to do it if I want to. Not so much. If the funds were appropriated by Congress, then it has to be released. This finding by GAO, this was released just before the Senate was really kicking off its impeachment trial. So sort of jolting the happenings on Capitol Hill today. It was really like a bombshell finding from this federal auditing agency that is so well respected in Congress. So the fact that this happens just as the impeachment trial is sort of getting underway in the upper chamber, I mean, you would think that it could potentially be used as sort of like fuel for lawmakers who are about to embark on this trial. And certainly Democrats are saying, you know, GAO's legal opinion really underscores the need for our ability to call witnesses in the Senate impeachment trial. And this is something that we need to be acting on, need to be considering where Republicans today were unfazed by GAO's legal finding. And they've been sort of unfazed by uh, anything that really House investigators have dug up on the president. Most of them who I spoke to today said, "Okay, yeah, that's what GAO says. I don't (laughs) think it really moves the needle. And some conceded that, yeah, you know, maybe this is a bit of a stretch when it comes to executive authority, but I don't think it will ultimately hurt the president. I don't see why it changes the calculus when it comes to impeachment. And that's been the whole big question. You know, will there be new evidence allowed into this? Will there be witnesses called? There's news about the former associate of Rudy Giuliani, Lev Parnas, basically saying that the president knew all the stuff that was going on and was directing this and kind of implicating him there. And who knows if any of this stuff will be even considered. I guess the Senate trial really gets started on Tuesday. So we'll find out more then and and whatnot. But for now, this report basically said that it was an illegal act to withhold that military aid. Caitlin Emma, reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. This situation perfectly illustrates why it is critical that the public be able to get access to digital evidence once it has obtained a court order based on probable cause. Joining us now is Rosie Perper, global reporter for Business Insider. Thanks for joining us, Rosie. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about this fight between the Trump administration and Apple 
On December 6th, there was a shooting at a naval base in Pensacola, Florida. There was a visiting officer in the Saudi Air Force. He ended up killing three people, wounded a bunch of others, and then he was shot dead by the authorities there. William Barr, the attorney general, has declared that an act of terrorism. But this kind of has shades of what happened in San Bernardino, California in 2015. There was two cell phones that were recovered and they were iPhones and the FBI has not been able to unlock them. So they asked Apple if they could create some type of backdoor to get into them. But Apple has refused. Rosie, what do we know about this? So the case from San Bernardino, that happened in 2015. So essentially what happened was Apple created an update to its iOS software. And basically there were certain data on the phone that was no longer able to be accessed by law enforcement. And so you needed a passcode in order to get certain things like text messages and photos. And that's obviously of importance to law enforcement when they're dealing with a shooting case or a terrorism case. And so after San Bernardino, they were able to get a hold of the shooter's iPhone. But unfortunately, they couldn't access the data that they were looking for because it was under uh, passcode encryption. So at first, they tried to crack it themselves, but the NSA wasn't able to. And so they went directly to Apple to ask them for help. But Apple said that creating any sort of hacking software would essentially put the privacy and security of all of its customers at risk. Because once you have that software available, what is the software is used for in the future could potentially put more of their customers at risk. And Apple really values privacy and user privacy of its customers. So it kind of refused to do that for the FBI, which kind of set this whole feud between the FBI and Apple in motion. Yeah. And at the time, the FBI sued Apple but while all that was happening, the FBI was able to contract with a third party to unlock the iPhone there. Uh, I think later on, Senator Dianne Feinstein from California said that the government paid $900,000 to this third party to be able to unlock that phone. And then they ended up dropping the lawsuit against Apple. So it was kind of like a stalemate. The FBI got what they wanted, so they didn't have to proceed with this lawsuit. So now we're kind of at it again. The uh, Attorney General William Barr accused Apple of not really doing enough to help. And there's two phones in question here now that they are trying to open up. And again, the same argument from Apple. They said, we can't do this because if we create a backdoor, this leaves it open to any bad actor to do this to other iPhones. Obviously, in the years since the San Bernardino shooting, Apple's been able to progress its security software even further. So Apple basically said that it's providing the FBI with as much information as it can. But there's just still certain information that it says if it provides to the FBI, that would set a precedent. And I think Apple's standing really firm on this issue. I think whether there's some earnesty behind it or whether or not it's Apple trying to save face, they're really standing firm about not compromising the security of its users. So what's going to happen is unclear at this point. Apple is in a really complicated spot right now because it's not just Apple fighting against the Department of Justice over something like this. They have to contend with a bunch of foreign governments. I think Australia passed the law saying they can mm -hmm. compel tech companies to undermine their data security. India has something. The UK has something. So if Apple does this for the Department of Justice, for the FBI, then they have to kind of do it for all these other countries. Or what's worse for a big company like Apple that I don't think they want, they would have to stop operating in these countries. So it's just a really complicated spot. And as you mentioned, the privacy of their customers is really high on their list. It just seems like they can't do this. 
That's kind of the argument that a lot of these rights groups have mentioned in, in now with the Pensacola shooting case. The American Civil Liberties Union, they defended Apple and they basically said that if Apple was to create this sort of backdoor software, other governments, other authoritarian governments might be able to access similar software and what they would use that software for, that would be of concern in the future. So that's something that they're really defending is this idea that if this software is created at all, who gets a hold of it and what it's used for in the future, it's just basically a slippery slope. And Apple hasn't closed off the FBI completely. They say they won't create this backdoor for the access to the iPhones but they are giving them a bunch of other stuff, uh, you know, iCloud data and some other stuff too, right? There is certain data that is, if you've got your iCloud set up to your iPhone, it can get automatically updated and it can get uh, stored in the iCloud. But that information, according to the FBI, just isn't enough. And what they have, there are certain gaps of information that they don't have. And so they really want to see who the Pensacola shooter was working with and whether he had ties to any sort of major terrorist groups. That sort of information is hard to discern from just the information that they have. But at the same time, Apple is cooperating and Apple thinks that it's doing its part. So we're back at this clash between Apple and the FBI in terms of getting access to the data that the FBI thinks it needs. And there's a couple of other little complications. I think in this case, in the Pensacola case, the shooter either shot one of the phones or tried to damage the phones. So there's a question of like, you know, why can't the FBI just go through another third party and they can create something to get into the phone? But a lot of people suspect maybe there was too much physical damage on the phones and maybe that's why they need Apple's help on this. So there's still a lot of questions in play and there's no actual lawsuit or anything happening this time just yet, right? Uh, no, not at the moment. The FBI is preparing for what it's going to do in the future. But at this point, they're looking at the same kind of scenario that they were put in back in 2015 and 2016. So it's unclear exactly what's going to happen in the future. I know Trump slashed out at Apple recently. And what's going to happen next, I guess, will kind of mirror what happened in the San Bernardino case. So we'll see. Rosie Perper, global reporter at Business Insider. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Especially when you see a chart of this or a graph of this, it's pretty startling how the temperatures have, there's a really sharp curve up in the last couple of decades. And so that tells us that the world is getting hotter and with that come, you know, any number of consequences. Joining us now is Brady Dennis, national environmental reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Brady. Thanks for having me. We just got a new study released jointly by NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration basically saying that 2019 was the second hottest year on record. This is trailing only 2016, but really that this past decade has been the hottest in recorded history. Tell us a little bit more about what we learned from this. You pointed to the main headline there that it's been a really startling run of hot years when we look back over the time in which scientists have really been tracking and recording global temperatures, which is roughly 150 years or so, that the past 10 have been the hottest decade easily. The past five have all been among the five hottest ever. And as you mentioned, 2019 was just by a little bit the second hottest year on record behind 2016. So especially when you see a chart of this or a graph of this, it's pretty startling how the temperatures have, there's a really sharp curve up in the last couple of decades. And so that tells us that the world is getting hotter. And with that come, you know, any number of consequences. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been this trend that we have been seeing. And what's interesting about this study, too, is that the data in this really matches a lot of other similar studies that have come out. I mean, you mentioned them in the article. There's like three or four, maybe more different studies that have all kind of had matching uh, similarities in what they're pointing to. To tell listeners, I mean, NASA and NOAA, you know, are sort of considered the gold standard of keeping these temperature records over time and analyzing them, they're hardly the only ones doing that. So there's an outfit, an independent group in California called Berkeley Earth that does a lot of this data with global temperatures. You know, the European Union, scientists there do this. And so there's a lot of people around the world looking at these numbers every year. And, you know, all of those data sets, all of those scientists pretty much arrived at the same conclusion. I think one group in the UK had 2019 among the top three years, so it could have been the third. But anyway, you look at it, that the numbers and the trends kind of tell the same story, that the globe is getting hotter each year and that that rate of warming has accelerated in recent decades. And let's talk about the effects of this warming. We've heard a lot of it. Obviously, the earth is getting warmer, but they're saying sea levels are going to rise. When you see places like Australia and California with just uncontrollable, crazy wildfires, this is a result of those things. Talk to us a little bit about the impacts of the earth warming. Sure. You pointed to some good examples there. And it's tricky because we have always had things like hurricanes and wildfires. These are these are things that happen annually around the world or in parts of the world. What scientists say the evidence increasingly points to is that the warming of the planet and, and climate change can intensify a lot of these things that already happen. So you, you end up with hurricanes that become more intense or get intense more quickly as they approach land. You have wildfires that burn more out of control and over a longer period throughout the year. Part of that is made worse by droughts that last longer. And so there's any number of natural processes that are made more intense, maybe more devastating by climate change as time goes on. The UN had a report last fall that basically said we're wasting time, <laughs> that we're not you know, uh, meeting some of these goals that we've set. And there needs to be like really drastic changes across the world, really, to really kind of limit the warming that is occurring. So what do we know about that? I mean, this is coming out of NASA. This is coming out of NOAA. The administration has a ton on its plate right now, but have they responded to any of this? I haven't seen this administration respond to, you know, the numbers that came out yesterday. Now, of course, the Trump administration has been very clear that climate change is not one of its priorities and that it plans to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement, which all other nations in the world are part of. At the end of this year, they plan to withdraw from that. And so it's pretty clear this administration doesn't see that as the top priority now or really any time over the last three years. But to your point about, you know, the U.N., saying the world is off track. I think that's really hard to, to argue against. I mean, when you just look at the numbers of the trajectory that the world is on with its carbon emissions, which is what fuels climate change, it's leading us to a, a future that is much warmer than than world leaders said they wanted to hold to under the Paris Climate Agreement. So uh, something has to change if we want to change that trajectory or else, you know, we seem to be headed toward a much warmer future um, if those emissions of greenhouse gases don't start to fall and, and fall sharply in, in the coming year. Brady Dennis, national environmental reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.